Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Hi, I'm Timmy the Trash Can, and I love trash. Popcorn boxes, cups, and candy wrappers. Mmm, they all taste so good. Instead of throwing your trash on the floor, won't you please give it to me? Thank you for considering your fellow patrons. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to The Tim Dillon Show. I have just returned to California from... The sunny Southern Command Center. Rush Limbaugh used to go, ladies and gentlemen, it is open line Friday from the Palm Beach, he would say, from sunny South Beach, Florida, the Southern Command Center of the EIB Network. It is El Rushbo the Maharashi. He broadcasts from uh, Palm Beach. I was just in St. Pete Beach, Florida, our greatest state, the crown jewel of America. Why is it so great? Is it the sunsets? Is it the elder abuse? Is it that every other building is a sober house? Is it the fact that rehabilitation is a major industry? I don't know. It's all of those things and more. All of the New York Jews go down to the East Coast of Florida, um, which is like Palm Beach, Boca, that shit. Fort Lauderdale, Miami, and then the West Coast where I was, which is like Tampa, St. Petersburg, Clearwater, is the people from Canada and the Midwest. They were telling me that when I got down there. Um, But there are some people from Long Island, New York on the West Coast too, but they are so prevalent on the East Coast that you feel like you're in New York. You feel like you hear the accents, you hear the complaining you immediately are like, oh, I'm home. You hear people upset. I mean, the first day I got there, you the gravitational pull of Florida is so much because you, when you get there, you spend time there and you go, I could live here. I could become this. It's something you become. You're not born that way. Maybe some people are. But you become a person that just is eating a conch fritter on the back deck at 3 p.m. You know, like I went out to lunch at Ocean Prime, which is a restaurant in Tampa. They have one in Beverly Hills, one in New York. It's a chain. I got out of there at three and my Uber driver picked me up and he goes, how was dinner? (laughs) So that's where they're at. He goes, how was dinner? And then he proceeded to tell me about his wife. He was in the asphalt business. His wife defrauded him out of his company, wrote fake checks, the whole thing. He's like, the DA said it was clear that she committed a crime. He goes, I didn't charge her. I didn't press charges because we've got two kids. He goes, her sister, you know, said their whole family's bipolar. He goes, I just didn't want to, 
So he goes, now I'm just trying to get in business with my younger son. I'm like, oh, good. Ruin his life. You want just your own flesh and blood. He's like, my younger son wants to go into business with me. So that's what Florida is, like a great place to start over. What did Roger Stone say? It's a sunny place for shady people. You know, the dirty tricks guy, Roger Stone. Mm -hmm. You get the vibe when you're in Florida that there's a lot of people there that are running from something. There are people that have given up on, on whatever they tried to do. And they've come down in Florida and they're, they're doing a version of what they wanted to do. And, and it, it, there's something nice about that. And, there's, and, and everything's inexpensive relative to New York and LA. And you start thinking like, man, I could get in this groove. I could really... I stayed at a hotel for one night called the Don Cesar, which everyone said, you got to stay at the Don. It's where Louis stayed. It's on the beach. Beautiful old hotel. The owner killed himself in it. Again, Florida. It was a VA hospital during World War II. A lot of people died there. I walk in immediately. There's an old couple complaining that the restaurant was closed for renovations. It's 153 a night. Beautiful resort. 153 a night. Right now, because I'm between apartments, I am in, I don't even know what I'd call an inn (laughs) in Burbank. Yeah, yeah. And it's got nothing. I mean, it is bare bone. It it looked like, it looks industrial. Like every door looks like it's a supply closet. Mm. This is fucking 220, 200. Because if I wanted to stay in West Hollywood, it's like 400, 500, 800. You go down to Florida, 150, you get a resort. And, and that, so I stayed one extra day. The crowds were fun. The people that came out to side splitters in Tampa. You know, my cousin went down to Florida about 10 years ago. Uh, and she did Florida right. My cousin did Florida right. She's addicted to heroin. Uh, she's in and out of rehabilitations. She also will smoke crack. She said to me, she said to me once in a Chili's in Delray Beach, she goes, Timmy, I'm a real garbage head. Whatever comes, whatever, whatever they bring out, I, I, I do not discriminate. I'll take pills. I'll shoot up. I'll smoke meth. She's, she's a lovely woman, but she's had problems. She's had issues. It's not mince words. There's been problems. Okay. I remember Thanksgiving a few years ago, she was back up from Florida. Um, She'll come, they bring her back to New York. It doesn't work because New York is like, New York almost makes me do heroin. So if you're on heroin, you don't come back to New York to like get off heroin. So she comes back, she falls in with a bad crew, her old crew or a new crew. It's amazing when you're doing those kind of drugs, you just figure out who's going to get those drugs and how are you going to get it? And uh, she was at Thanksgiving and my other aunt, my aunt, who's like a, a pill head and a drunk, goes, let's do, let's go around the table and say what we're thankful for, which is always a waste of everyone's time. No one's really, truly thankful for anything because no one will admit what they're thankful for. No one will admit the reality of what they're saying. I'm thankful that I got away with the D-way. Like, no one says that. <laughs> Every, no one will go into the reality of what they're saying. Everybody's like, I'm thankful for the seasons. I'm thankful to be around family. You're not. You're not. No one is. No one is. 
It's, I'm thankful I didn't get caught cheating on my taxes. I'm thankful my wife didn't catch that 23-year-old blowing me in my office. I'm thankful my kid didn't shoot up the school this year with my parenting. He should have. But no one will be on it. That would be great if we all went around the table and we're like, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, half of my family would be like, thank God I was born white and I could just be mediocre <laughs> at everything. And not of the cops constantly beating the shit out of me, even though they should be. Um, <laughs> but so you, you, you set up a situation where you have your everybody. When you go around that table, everyone's full of shit. And my cousin is at the table and she's, you know, she's tired. We, you know, you know, what that means I was an addict for years. I don't talk about her in a judgmental fashion. I get it. But she's tired. Well, yeah, tired means that there's there are problems. So we're going around the table and everybody's kind of nervous because they're going to get to her. I'm trying to think of something dumb and funny to say. I think I say it. I don't know. I forget what I even said I was thankful for. I think I said now na- na- my nanny made chocolate pudding. My nanny makes the best chocolate pudding. It's I think it's two packages of mighty fine chocolate, one package of mighty fine vanilla. Mix it up. You get the pudding skin. Pudding has to have skin. And, and it, so I said, I'm thankful for Nanny's pudding or whatever. And everyone left. So we get to my other cousin and they're going, what are you thankful for? And she just like picks her head up and she goes, I'm sick. And everyone goes, okay. And they go right to the next guy. They're like, and what are you thankful for? And I'm like, well, do you see that this wasn't the move? But she went down there and half of Delray Beach, Florida is a rehab. The other half of Delray Beach, Florida, is a crack house. It's like there's a line down the town. Half of them are rehabs, half of them are crack houses. And you just shimmy over to the crack houses when you feel like relapsing. And then you go back to the rehabs and the sober houses. And these sober houses are big business. Rich kids that get fucked up, their parents pay to stash them somewhere where they will be watched. And the rehabs kick them out usually after 28 days. So then they can't come home. The parents are like, we don't want to see them. That's how we got it. That's why they're doing drugs in the first place. It's because we're, we're busy making $8 million a year at Goldman Sachs, not raising them. So we clearly don't know what to do with them. Put them somewhere and I'll open my wallet to make that happen. The Ridge wallet. So what then happens is you have these sober houses, these communities of people. And then my my roommate, his girl, was a sober companion. Her job is to sit next to rich people on flights so that they don't order drinks. I'm not even kidding. This is an economy right now. Poor people can't afford this. If you're broke, and I'm going to talk about my rehab experience in a minute, But if you're broke, you either don't go to rehab or if you go, they kick you out as soon as your insurance is out and they go, good fucking luck. Go with God. Go to meetings. Go to AA. But if you're rich, you go to all these bullshit rehabs, which barely work. Promises in Malibu. Look, you're riding a horse. You don't need to do, you don't need to take OxyContin. You're on a horse, Nicole Richie. You're on a horse now. Well, then what happens when you're not on the horse? You go, well, I'm, I'm home now and I'm not on the horse. I think I'll take a pill. That's the problem. No one is fucking doing synthetic heroin because they, they, they have a lack of equestrian opportunity. 
That's not it. There's deeper issues you got to get to. But these these fraudulent, you know, programs that they have in these, you know, billion, multi-million dollar institutions are just to distract you. That's what rich rehab is. It's like distract. We have beach yoga. It's beach yoga. Nobody needs to do drugs. We're going to do yoga at the beach. And then we're going to talk about our feelings by the sunset. And then we have a five-star chef who's going to make you a meal. And and you're like, you're pampered and it's luxurious and they're giving you whatever drugs they can legally give you to get you off the other drugs and whatever. And then you go back and the, the the week you're out of that, you're using again. You're at One Oak or Ten Oak or 15 Maple or whatever these fucking clubs are on the Sunset Strip and you got your face full of a big cake of Coke because you learned nothing. You didn't grow spiritually. It's a whole lot of shit. But my cousin had gone down to a few of these places in Delray and she's put some clean time together and then she relapses and it's sad. It's a fucking, the disease is insidious. It's deadly. It doesn't let you out of its grasp, its clutches. It's a lifelong fight. And I, I 100% respect that she's trying. It's fucking hard. And I remember I went down there to perform at a rehab convention because I used to do a lot of rehab comedy. Uh, when I first started comedy, those were shows that I could do. I wasn't in at clubs. I wasn't really working on the road. So the idea, the road was rehab shows. I did one in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, where I got one of the best hackles ever. I said something about Jeffrey Dahmer, and somebody in the audience yelled out, Dahmer ate my friend. That was one of the best uh, heckles that I have ever had. It is the top five. Ten years of comedy, a lot of people have yelled shit out. That was the top five. Um... I did a rehab convention in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and then we did one in Pompano Beach, Florida. Flew into Fort Lauderdale. Now, the guy that used to book these was a one-armed ex-crackhead named Keith. Uh, he had one arm. The arm that he had, the fake arm, was so bad, it wasn't like it looked like a Halloween, like he got it at a Halloween store. It was like a prosthetic but it wasn't good. It was literally plastic and it only had one, like he couldn't move any of it. It was like an arm that was always in the position of like him giving a speech as a coach. And he lost it smoking crack. He was a Marine, but he never really saw combat, but he used to get on planes and ask to sit in first class (laughs) because he said he fought for the country, which everyone kind of knew was a lie. Like no one believed that. And, and that's also not the way planes work. You don't get to just sit in first class because you lost an arm for the country. And also you didn't. Also, you're lying, which I always respected him for. I respected that he would lie like that and disgrace uh, the idea that there were people that had lost limbs for the country who just sat and coach, kept their mouth shut. But he lied because you're always an addict. You always, Even if you're not doing drugs, You're always a fucking addict. Those behaviors, they percolate. They they, they rise to the surface. They're there. They're there. And you used to see it when he would get mad. He'd be like, I can't fuck. He'd turn around and be like, I can't fucking believe this. He goes, there's seats open in first class. They won't let me sit there. And the woman's like, that's not it. 
Like you have to buy a first class ticket. He's like, well, I'm a veteran. I lost my arm for the country. And then she'd go, well, thank you for your service. And then you'd walk by, <laughs> you know, but this is, this is who's booking the gigs. Keith, just plain Keith. That's what he called himself. Just plain Keith. He had a joke. He used to do other people's jokes. There was this great guy, Mike DiStefano, who was one of the best comedians, and he died. He's an amazing guy. He used to do heroin. He had AIDS. He was like this tragic figure, but one of the best comedians. I think he won or got very, he didn't win, but he got very close, last comic standing, and everybody loved him. He worked the cellar. Everybody loved Mike DiStefano, and he did this thing called Fanny's Last Ride at the Moth, which like makes you cry. It's like a great fucking story. He tells about, and he used to have this great joke. He would open, he'd go, um, go, hey, everybody. He go, I have to, you know, I goes, he goes, I'll, 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 I have 10 years clean. And everybody would clap. And then he'd go, in eight years. <laughs> so now Keith just does that joke. And Keith's like, I do it to honor his memory. I'm like, well, all right. I don't know how that works. But Keith's like, well, his brother said I could do it. I'm like, I also don't know if that's how that works, but whatever. <laughs> Sit in first class, do the guy's joke. What I mean, you know, you're booking me. Who am I at this point? And that's, he used to have this other guy, Scott Papacuri, who was this other comic who like had a big career, but then had drug issues and women issues and all these problems. But we used to travel around occasionally, do gigs in like Woonsocket, Rhode Island. And I've talked about it before on the show. We ended up going down to a, convention i forget what it was it was in pompano beach and my cousin and a few of her friends came to the show and the show was a disaster i mean i did really good but it was a fucking rough because it's a convention no one really sometimes they really love the comedy this show was like not set up well nobody was expecting it they sprung it on everybody it was in a conference room and i was just fighting for my life up there but i was doing decently i was doing okay and then I think the next day, or maybe it was earlier that day, me and my cousin had lunch at Chili's. And that's what she said to me. She goes, I said, what is, you know, are you okay? What, what is it? And she goes, Timmy, I love the family. I love everyone. I just love heroin. She said very honestly, she goes, I just really like doing heroin. And it was just such a moment of honesty. And I was like, fuck, thank God I never did heroin because I bet that's kind of, <laughs> you probably just get to that point where you go, yeah, I like heroin. I'm into heroin. And it's like, it's such a fucking, but what's also interesting about that whole community is the people that were drug addicts, then all, they all run the rehabs. Ex-drug addicts run the rehabs. They run the sober houses. So you'll be talking to somebody and they'll be like, yeah, I'm a drug counselor. It's like, what'd you do last year? They were like, ah, oh, home invasions. You're like, oh, okay. So it's been a pretty quick, quick turnaround on that, huh? You know? And then next year they might be doing home invasions again. You don't know, mm -hmm. but they're like in, a, they're in charge, you know, now they're supposed to have a certain amount of clean time, but then you, you're going off everybody's, you know, honor, the honor system. The, oh, I've been clean for however long you need me to say I've been clean for to, you know, so to get a paycheck. Um, and then this thing called the KSAC, which you're supposed to get certified and, you know, <clears throat> helping people, this, that, and the other thing. But it's a, my cousin's been in out of rehab a few times. She, they let her in for free once. They were like, she's been here a bunch. We're going to let her in for free. I, you know, and it's hard because it's tough. Money doesn't solve the problem. Money, I mean, money makes it better. It'll help. 
but it doesn't solve the issue of somebody who has maybe changed their body chemistry or their physiology uh, and they are now truly kind of a ticking time bomb and they're like ready to get activated. And they might put some clean time behind them six months or a year and then they just get activated like that and then they go off the fucking reservation and then it's like, fuck, it's bad. I remember when I went, right in the beginning of comedy, I went to rehab. I had started comedy, actually. I had started comedy in late 2010 and I was still taking pills. I was taking Percocet and things like that. And I was like, I want to go to rehab to just get this out of my system. It's not really good. And I, was, I wasn't taking a lot. I was taking like three or four a day. Okay? That's still a problem. That's still a problem. Now, I told like my dad and other people this. And they were like, you're not really doing that much. I was like, well, um, you know, it's this kind of parenting that is, you know, why we're here. It's why I'm in this. They're like, I had no idea. I think you're kind of okay. You seem fine. You're wearing a suit. You got a job. Is your job going to let you take off to go to rehab? I'm like, well, yeah, but I'm maybe going to die if I don't. <laughs> so I should do that, right? Yeah, but you're not taking that much, right? But it's progressive. I'll take more and more, right? I'm drinking. I'm doing all these other things. So I go to rehab and when you go, and I went to a place called the Long Island Center for Recovery. And this is out in the Hampton Bays, which is not the nice part of the Hamptons. And the Long Island Center for Recovery, I remember as soon as I pulled up, I took a train out there and then I took a cab and I'm at the Long Island Center for Recovery. And I feel like shit, right? You don't, you don't feel you're in rehab. You're like, my life has become unmanaged. This is no good. Bad. This is bad. So, because I thought, I was like, well, if I come out of the closet and I start doing comedy, I'll be able to just use drugs and drink and it, it'll all be fine. It'll all, and that's not the case. You make all those deals. You go, well, if I'm just honest, I can do drugs, honestly. Can't we all just do drugs honestly together like human beings without these dark secrets? Let's, let's just, we'll, we'll be on the other side of all this. I'm living my dream. I'm a comedian. It's going to be good. So what ended up happening, I go to Long Island Center for Recovery. I walk into the room. This is intake. Now, intake in a rehab is they're, they're basically seeing how fucked up you are, how, what they need to do, what they have to do legally, what insurance is going to pay for. That's the big one. And then they put you in a room and they go, okay, here's the program, blah, blah, blah. So I show up. I sit down and the woman goes, so are you drunk? I go, no. She goes, oh, you're not drunk, huh? I go, no, I, I was going to rehab. I figured I wouldn't get drunk the night of. She goes, ah, it's a lot better for insurance if you're drunk. I, she goes, could you go out and get drunk and then come back? I said, well, sure. I don't really know of any bars. She goes, well, let's try it first without you being drunk. She goes, if you blow, if you take a breathalyzer and you blow like high blood alcohol level, insurance is like, oh, we got to pay. Because the good insurance people, they're not going to take you your word. They like, they want you to prove that you're fucked up. So I'm there. My insurance is not good. They're not going to like let me in this place. Okay. 
And I can tell that because you see the look on her face start to change as the application's going through. And in the beginning, she started, she was using the word we. She's like, we're going we're gonna to help you out. We're a family. We're this, we're that. We, we have to be accountable. We have to do this. We have to do that. And then as the insurance was not going through, she changed the we to uh, you. She's like, you're going to be fine. You're going to go out. You're going to change everything. You're going to do what needs to be done. And I'm like, we're, we, we, were, we were we a few minutes ago. So she finally goes, okay, I finagled it. I got you eight days, eight days of a 28-day program. The good, the good people at uh, my insurance were like, hey, he'll learn it in a week. He'll get better in a week. We're going to give him a week instead of a month. That's fine for him. He'll be fine. So eight days. All right, baby. You get in. You li- you have a prison cot. Three other dudes. One guy was named Ricky. One guy was named Alex. There was another guy. I forgot his name. But that guy was telling me that there are no negative consequences to doing heroin except the withdrawal and the fact that it's addictive. He's like, heroin's a great drug. He goes, it does nothing negative to your system except the fact that you get addicted to it. And I'm like, well, I don't know enough to argue with you, but that sounds highly suspect. But you seem very convinced. And then there was a guy who was like Portuguese who walked around in his underwear. He was an older guy. We didn't know. He like muttered to himself and would laugh occasionally. But we didn't know what his deal was. I think he was drying out. I think he was a drunk. Um... Uh, I think, so when you're in rehab, you bond with people incredibly quickly because it's a prison situation. You wake up early in the morning, meth heads kick down your door. These ex-meth head bikers that ran the rehab. You got to go to an early morning meeting. You got to go have a shitty breakfast and you got to go do dishes because you're working whatever on the thing, you know? And, And it's rehab. So they're, they're checking you for drugs. They're checking to see if you smuggled in drugs. They're, you know, you get pat down, you get random searches, you get all that shit, you know? This one girl, this fat girl came in and she she would keep uh she would keep packets of honey in the laces of her shoes and just take the honey out and just suck down the honey. And then interesting. <laughs> Somehow it had to do, it wasn't just honey. Like she had somehow smuggled Xanax in to her shoes too. Somehow. People are very creative. Alex was a fun kid um, from Brookville, wealthy part of Long Island, part where my grandfather used to live. Alex was like a bro, Jersey Shore guy, had a hot girlfriend, rich mom. He's dead now. Killed, killed himself. I mean, I don't know what, why I think it was drugs. It was either drugs or he did himself in, but I think it was drugs. I think another one of those dudes is dead too. One of those guys, Ricky, invited me over to his house a week after we got out of rehab and I sat down with him and his girlfriend. We watched Jeff Dunham's special and they loved it. They were like, you got to see Peanut. And I'm like, who's Peanut? And they go, Peanut's my favorite one of his puppets. And I'm like, well, what is it? They go, he's just this thing. He's just this funny thing. And Peanut's like a crazy, and his girl's like, it's like a crazy baby. Peanut's like a crazy baby. 
she said. And I said, okay. I was sitting there watching the Jeff Dunham with them going, is this better than heroin? <laughs> like, is this, is this better than getting a pay by the hour motel and cutting up cocaine and blasting it till our mouths are numb? It can't be right. That kid, I don't know if he made it through either. I mean, I, I these people were all on Facebook. I, I mean, hopefully he's still alive. He was another one of those guys. He got out of rehab, but he was still like in the EDM scene. And I was like, yeah, this is not gonna. He's like, my passion is electronic music. I'm like, you got to get another passion. You got to switch. He's like, I'm going to be sober and it's going to take my music to the next level. I'm like, you got to, you can't, no. That's like being a drunk and getting out of rehab and being like, my passion is bars. I'm never not going to be in a bar. I'm just going to be drinking seltzer. It's not going to happen. There was one guy at a bar I used to hang out at Lisa's Lounge, this guy, Mike, who I saw the other day, just driving around in, in, in Long Island. It was crazy. So him and this other guy, George, this guy, George, had like a deformed face. He inherited a bunch of money, not a bunch, but he got like 120 grand in a lawsuit. And then some hooker, Named Carol helped him spend all the money. It was crazy. And then he went back to like living in his car. It was very wild. Um, but Carol was, was kind of fun. But I, it, not worth, not that much fun. But so I saw those two just driving around in a car. And I'm like, I wonder if they're sober. Because that guy, Mike, was trying to get sober. He came to the bar one day and he's like, I'm sober. And he was like drinking water. He's like, I'm sober. I just love all of you. And I'm here sober. And I'm like, well, this is much worse. Don't you see that? Have a drink. God. You're here with all of us sober? Like, you got to change your life when you sober up. You just got to change. And that poor kid, that kid Ricky was just like, and then I visited him in jail, actually. Now, I remember. That's the memories are coming back. He was in jail and his girl's like, hey, he's in jail in East Meadow in Long Island. Why don't you go visit him? And we, we, I went in and I visited him and I was like, hey, how's it been? And he's like, well, you know, he's like, it's not fun here. And, but the thing with rehab is you, you're, you're all brothers in rehab for the week and then you get out, you never see each other again. Or it's a funeral or it's something horrible happened because it's like, the recidivism rate with that shit is high. It's bad. People go back. They go back. They go back. And uh, I don't know where that other guy is, but there's a lot of people. I go back to old. Sometimes I'll think of a kid from my town. I'll be like, I wonder what happened to that guy. I wonder what happened to Chico. Where's Chico? Then I'll just look at his Facebook. It's an in memoriam page or it's not an in memoriam page. Here's how you know. They don't even make it an in-memoriam page. It'll just be like one whore who just posts on his page every day. She'll be like, you know, like, I'm going to do a Spanish accent here, but that's not meant to be. This is a white girl who thinks she's Spanish that I'm imitating. It's significantly less funny if she's actually Spanish. She's like, she's probably like mostly white, but her name is like Lizette or something. <laughs> this is exactly in my head. This is where I'm going with this. So like every day she'll post on his page like, it seems to be a lot of people. I mean, this is hard to, because now, now I'm doing Marisa, which is Giannis Papas' character. But that's the only Spanish voice I know. But so it will be a bitch 
who posts on his page every day, she'll be like, you know, it seems like a lot of people forgot about you, but I'll never forget about you. A lot of people forget. It's like, well, yeah, they can't post every day on his page. It's five years later. She's like, a lot of people forgot you, but I never forget you. And you could tell. She was one chick that does this over and over again. And you go, oh, he's dead. Like, that's how you know he's dead. Because it'll be that one chick that keeps posting. I love you. I remember when we used to chill. When we used to chill like with each other. I never forget that time at the park. When I was 14 and you were 30 and you was fucking me on the stairs. I don't know. Listen, folks. I'm just, I'm not saying, I'm just saying that's how you know these people have passed on. It's just one girl over and over again. I love you. I always be remembering you. Okay. Move on. But it's difficult. I'm glad, I'm glad I got out of that because for a lot of people, that's a lifestyle. Rehab's a lifestyle. It's what they talk about. It's who they are. It's what they're about. They know the good rehabs are better. Supposedly after I left the rehab, then the bad, like bad people came into it. It wasn't as fun. Like we were all trying to get better. And then supposedly right after I left, a crop of people came in that had no interest in getting sober. And a lot of them were just court ordered and they were just trying to sneak drugs in and it became an issue. And it became like not a fun spot. You know, we were actually trying to not be, you know, fucked up. Um, that, and after I got out of there, I, I was kind of done. I was really done with drugs. I mean, that was kind of it. I'm trying to think. I think I tried to smoke pot a few more times after that. And I was like, I just can't do it. But fucking panic attacks. And then like, um, so... That's what a lot of Florida is. Florida has a lot of people trying to put it back together and people that have no interest in putting it together. A lot of pay-by-the-hour motels, a lot of prostitution in Tampa, a lot of strip clubs. Florida Project is a great fucking movie. I'd like you to see that. You should watch it. It's fucking phenomenal. It's about a place called the Magic Castle. Not this faggoty thing in L.A. where these clowns jump around. These people. I'm a comedian and a magician. You shut up. I'm, I'm just, it's an experience for the audience. Yeah? I, I got an experience. It's called Stephen Paddock. It's called The Paddock. That's what I got for the audience. Okay? couple of Saudi arms dealers <laughs> and a nice patsy. Um, I'm kidding. Shout out to Saudi Arabia. You know, I love you. I'm not, I am not, I am not insinuating that that was an arms deal gone wrong or that you, you know, cooperated with elements of our government to uh, do the 9-11 thing or anything or that you have an underground alliance with Israel and Britain and the U.S. And you, I, hey, 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 I don't mean any of that. I'm being a goof. I'm being a big goof. And I hope that doesn't hurt. I hope you'll bring me over there like Fluffy. Didn't Fluffy go over there and perform for like five like five guys where they were beheading people. <laughs> did he really? I think he did. It was like it was like it was like Mohammed. It was like uh, the 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 the. Uh, I'm fucking so exhausted from this plane ride. I'm trying to think of their name. The Saudi royal family. What was it? The the Bin Salmans. I, I think it's the Bin Salman. Whatever it is. The Saudi royal family. I think they brought Fluffy over. 
And they all sat there in thrones beheading people and behanding people. And he was like, I'm fluffy. I like milkshakes. I love that that's the kind of American comedy they like. I like milkshakes. Is people getting their hands lobbed off. There's women being beaten with sticks outside. And then he comes into the palace and he's like, you know, I like to put a cake in a shake. <laughs> and they're like, they're like, this is good. They're like, this is just good. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Fluffy too. This is not meant to disparage him. Fluff. <laughs> Fluff. Listen, you and me want to start. I will start doing shit with you anytime you want. You know? Hire me. I know about the Hispanic experience in this country. Thank you. But that's, you know, what was I talking about before I said Stephen Paddock should kill my audience? Um, you were talking about the Magic Castle and how Yeah, so this thing in the yeah. Florida Project is about the Magic Castle, which is a, uh, it's a hotel. It's an extended stay hotel that people just live in. And it's a great fucking thing, man. And they, they cast this girl from Instagram, Bria Vinite or whatever, who's like real white trash. They, they didn't even... It was just like, they just put the camera on her and let her go. Um, she was like a great actress, but it's like, was she acting? Um, and this little girl, Brooklyn Pierce, I think was in it. This little girl that was great. And I think they also just used people from the magic. Mm-hmm. They used people from the hotel and I think they barely paid them. So Hollywood, hooray for Hollywood. They're still living. They wouldn't like a movie. They're still living in the magic. So, but it's just that culture of, and uh, they have a great ice cream place down there, Twisty Treat. And that's in the Florida Project, too. What a f- they have something called a brownie boat, which is great, that I, I got because it's, they, it's, a, they have, it's keto. They do. It's sugar-free ice cream, sugar-free brownies. <laughs> and then the next day, I went back to the, a different one, a different Twisty Treat. And I was like, can I have another brownie boat? And this woman, this haggard woman goes, hey. She goes, we're privately owned. We don't have the brownie boat. I'm like, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? That's like going into McDonald's. You go, I don't, we don't, we don't do the double cheeseburger. Waha. <laughs> we don't do the McDouble. We don't do the Big Mac here. We're privately owned. She goes, I don't know what the brownie boat is. Nobody can explain to me what the brownie boat is. I'm like, it's the, it's the banana boat with brownies. So we don't have that. I'm like, you know, she's like, we're owned by the same people that own, I forget. Some other ice cream place. She's like, we're owned by the same people that own Eddie's. <laughs> and she's got her meth head son in there helping her. Like, God, this is real Florida shit. Did you try to get her to make it? They don't have the right kind of brownies. They have yeah. just the shitty little brownies. The bigger, fluffier brownies are at the other one. That twisty treat was great. There was just a. I said to the woman, like, what should I get? This is the first twisty treat. I was like, what, what should I get? And she goes, um, she goes get 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 the brownie boat, and the guy in front of me got the brownie boat. Everybody's getting the boat. They like the boat, Florida. Just give me the boat. Let's not waste our time with the cone. Let's not waste our time with the sun. The Sunday. The Sunday. What is this? Chicago? No, this is Florida. Put it in the boat. Put it in the trough. A lot of mobile home. So I was I was near Pervert Park. Now, did you ever see Pervert Park, the mm-hmm. documentary? No, we I never haven't. watched it. Pervert Park is a documentary about 
uh, a mobile home park in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is all pedophiles. And it's like really, really bad. Like one lady like like abused her son. He's, they're like abusing three-year-olds. It's very bad. But then there's like one kid that like was 17. He's trying to fuck a 14-year-old. And like, of course, it was like the FBI pretending to be a 14-year-old because they were, they were, they were like not busy that day, you know, uh, letting terrorists do 9-11 <laughs> or letting Boston Marathon thing get bombed. So they were just like, well, we're sort of bored today. So um, we're just going to pretend to be kids online. So this poor kid, I mean, obviously he's got problems too. I'm not, whatever. But he's in there with like hardened people. And now his life's over and he's living in this. So I was like, I called Ben. I'm like, should I do a podcast from there? Ben's like, what? I thought you were spiraling, dude. I was I, so worried about it. You called I, me at like 1230 in the morning. You were like, shit. What if, what if it was me? Just yelling about Twisty Treat in the pedophile park. <laughs> just screaming. like About the brownie bow? Yeah, and I go, and I go to the next one, and this bitch goes, we're privately owned. We don't have a brownie boat. She goes, I don't even know what a brownie boat is. I go, it's the banana boat with brownies, you dumb cunt. And it's just a bunch of pedophiles. We're all smoking cigarettes. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, so you guys fuck kids. That's fucked up. But, but. Just hypothetically, if you owned a Tristy Treat, you'd make the brownie boat, right? So I call my friend Michael, who I love, but he's dumb. And he goes, yeah, you should do it. The documentary is really good. It was good. You should do a podcast. And I'm like, well, no, because if you go in and you're, if you're too nice to them, people get mad at you. Like if you try to have a serious, I'm not a serious journalist. So like if I try to do anything that, for, feel sympathetic to them because they are a lot of people have done monstrous things I mean you know so if you're too sympathetic to them people are going to be like you're too sympathetic and if you're too much of a dick it doesn't really work I can't go there and like be a dick to them you know what I mean mm -hmm. I can't be you know so and then it feels like exploitive or whatever I mean but it would be probably an interesting podcast if I went there and I just talked about Twisty Treat and this bitch who fucked me over. I was like, yeah, you guys, you guys, you got fucked when you were young. And because that's why they're all there is they got fucked and they got touched. I was like, you guys got a raw deal in life. And I get it. You have this horrible thing. But I go. Like, I let them talk for a minute. I let a woman go. She's like, you know, my father fucked me and. It's just a disease and everything. And I go, yeah, that's bad. I go, let me ask you a question, though. Have you ever had a brownie boat? She goes, yeah, the thing at Twisted Treat. I go, yeah. Listen to this. I go to another Twisty Treat. This bitch says they don't have it. And they're owned by the same people who own Eddie's. What the fuck does that have to do with it? What are the people that own Eddie's? Don't want it's the biggest seller. At Twisty Treat is the fucking brownie boat. The taco also does well. The Choco Taco that they dip, they make themselves. But the point is, the boat is, you just see the, you see the pedophiles like they're like, I leave the park and they're like, you know what? It's good that we're not out in the outside world after deal with people like that. <laughs> At least we can live in this little pervert park together. Mm-hmm. We don't have to deal with people like that. It could be worse. We could have some fat guy from New York screaming about a brownie boat. I, as soon as she said, we don't have the brownie boat, I went like this. I went, 
She goes, we don't have it. And I go, ha. She goes, we're owned by the people who own Eddie's. I go, well, what does that have anything to do with it, to be honest? I don't even know what Eddie's is. Eddie's was up the block. I should have went to Eddie's. Then she starts telling me the whole thing. She's like, the, uh, this was the f- first twisty treat. I'm like, all the more reason it should have the fucking boat. She goes, well, we got bought out by the guy who owns Eddie's and we're franchise. We're allowed to do whatever we want. We don't have the boat. I go, well, don't people ask for the boat every day? She goes, every day people ask for this boat. I go, well, why don't you fucking, why don't you fucking do it? Figure it out. Do it for the people. This whole state is fucked. You got people running around fucking and sucking for heroin. You got pedophiles in the park. You got Ponzi real estate schemes. You got old people who can barely keep the food in their mouth. You got 90 degree weather. It's an Indian burial ground. It's a cursed swamp down here. All we are asking for is the fucking brownie boat, which is what Twisty Treat is known for. It's what it is known for. That and the banana boat. She goes, well, I don't even understand what the brownie boat is. I go, I'll say it again. It is the banana boat with brownies. She goes, are there still bananas? I said, no, but if you wanted to leave the bananas in, that wouldn't be a problem. And then I looked at her and went, also, do you know where the pedophile mobile home park is? She goes, I do not. I said, all right, well, then just make the banana boat. (laughs) Fucking, I'm here on vacation. Mm -hmm. I want the pedophile park and the brownie boat. It's my vacation. Mm -hmm. It's a great dock, pervert park. It is... It is a difficult, it's difficult. It's a difficult doc to watch. It's very hard to watch. It's not exactly light. It's not fun. It ain't great. Um, But it is instructive in the sense you feel lucky. You feel lucky. Like, I'm lucky I'm not a pedophile. I'm lucky I don't live in Florida. You know, I mean, this ain't Palm Beach. I'm lucky that I was not fucked as a kid because I was hot as fuck and I should have been. I'm lucky that I get to use someone else's Netflix password and I don't even have to pay for this. You feel like, I mean, it's a documentary. You just, dude, it's a fucking dark. I mean, it's a dark fucking life. I mean, I don't know what to say. You know, it's a very tough. We should call that twisty tree. <laughs> They're closed. They're open till 11. I just call her once a day, every day. Hey, it's Tim. You recognize my voice? Yes. You have the boat yet? No. We're independent. What do you mean you're independent? Every twisty treat is shaped like a big ice cream cone. Mm -hmm. There is no independence. You're not doing your own thing. It is a big ice cream cone with a hole in it where a person pops out. It is not... You don't put your own stamp mm-hmm. on Twisty Treat. You're not like, well, we want to do a uh, lobster bisque here. No. You make the creations that people have come to depend on. You know, this is. But uh, yeah, it was a good idea that I didn't do. I don't even know how I would have. What would I have done? Walked into the park with my <laughs> podcast equipment. Yeah. And said, hey, <laughs> hey, are you a pedophile? 
Well, they all are. The, every single one of them? Everyone in the park. I mean, what would I have done? I walk in and go, hey, is there a hierarchy here? Can I get, I want like a, one of the, like, I want a big one. I don't want like, you know, <laughs> did I knock that out? No, you're fine. So did you go see the Joker instead of getting the banana boat? I saw Joker in New York. Oh, okay. And it was really good. I enjoyed it. Thought it was great. I love, I love the scene where he's talking to De Niro. And he shoots De Niro. So I love, it's really the only time I've watched late night television in the past three years where I was happy with the outcome. <laughs> where I went, yeah, it makes sense. And it's also so much less dark mm -hmm. than comedy. Yeah. It's like, doesn't even get it. It's like not even close to have breakfast on the road with someone who's featuring for you. It's so much. Most people are so bad at comedy that if you do, were to explain to them how bad they are, they would start crying. Like they have no idea how bad they are. This is the issue. Most people are so utterly hopeless in comedy that there isn't anything. To, you can't tell them to do anything. There is no. It would be like if I wanted to be a marathon runner and other marathon runners had to take me seriously and tell me that, yeah, well, you know, yeah, a lot of people just, you know, start running and, you know, you get get the times up and they'd have to talk to me about training, you know. Go, well, yeah, well, you train, you, you got to get in the ice bath, you know. Knowing full well, knowing full well that the chances of me being a, a successful marathon runner are equal to the chances of me flying around the city. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's where it's at. So then you, like, meet comics on the road. And, like, these comics are good. Uh, this weekend that I that I, um, that I I met, this girl Katie was really funny. I forget her last name. Katie Hughes, maybe. I don't know. She was really funny. But then, like, it's like... But then it's like... Sometimes you'll meet comics where it's like, they're so far from where they need to be. There is no, you can't tell them it. You go, you're so bad. You're so bad. And you're old. And you're not unique. And you're boring. And the audience hates you. And you just bomb. And there's nothing to do. There's nothing to do except realize that this is not at all something that you should pursue professionally, personally, in any, you should not be on a stage. Just because no one can legally stop you from getting up there doesn't mean that you have the right to stand in front of people and waste their time. I mean, that's the reality of so many comics you meet on the road. It's just very tough. They're hack. They're not even hack. They, as great, the great Kurt Metzger would say, you got to get good enough to be hack. Right. Hack means it's working with derivative shit. You're like out there with nothing. <laughs> it's so bad. Like some of these people, they'll be like, I don't really know what to do. I'm trying to get some work here. And there. I go, oh, wow. Guys, what's the point? 
I mean, literally. What's the point? Do you realize the audience hated you? Do you realize that the five minutes you spoke to them was the worst five minutes of their day? Do you realize that? Were you there for that? Were you present? Are you present for your own life? Are you even casually observing your own life? Because if you, and I've met people that just, they get on stage, they go into this, they don't even know where they are anymore. They think it's all going well. I'm like, no one laughed. There were polite chuckles, but it was because it was uncomfortable. People were like, ha, 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 ha. They just want you off. They, they want you off that stage and so quickly back to your fucking day job. They want you so far away from that. It is fucking insane that you had the nerve to get on a stage and, and put these people through your delusion and your fucking insanity. That's what it is. You're putting someone else through your insanity right now. You know, you're not, it ain't going to happen. You're not meant to be on a stage. You're meant to be in the audience. Mm -hmm. The majority of people doing comedy now are just fans of comedy. Yeah. That we're allowed to get on stage because no one tells you anymore. You suck. Mm -hmm. You're bad. No one tells anyone the truth anymore. Honesty is gone from public discourse. It's gone. Everything's gone. Any gender can get their period. We're all comedians. My thoughts are just as important as yours. No, they're not, you dumb bitch. They're not. <laughs> if they were, it would you. It would be obvious because people would be laughing. That's the goal. Then they all talk about their material. They're like, you know, my material. My material. I feel like sometimes the room doesn't get. I said the room that gets your material doesn't exist. It is a hospital room. <laughs> the room for you to perform in is padded. Okay? Straight jack. These people need to be in straight jack. <laughs> and I have to sit there and kindly nod and go, yeah, you know, you move to New York, I got answer. Move to LA, whatever you want to do, just get in there and, you know, keep writing. No, no, keep, not keep writing. Keep writing and sign yourself into a mental institution. Don't write another joke. Sign your name on an intake paper. Put yourself away. Fucking lunatics. I'm, I'm, it's a world where no one can be told honestly that they're, they're fucking full of shit. How, much, how long has this been? We have five minutes left. Okay. Hand me my phone. I want to read a quote from the great Andrew Collin. Who once got pulled over in a, who once got pulled over jet skiing in a manatee zone? He's a real Florida man. He was speeding in a manatee zone, the great Andrew Collin. And he summed up, he summed up Florida really well. He's, when I first met him in New York, he's Nikki Glazer's opener, a very funny guy. I used to talk about Long Island. He would talk about Florida. And uh, so I said, we're, we're both gonna end up in Florida, Andrew. And he writes back, he goes, Medicare fraud, Tom Petty, horse fucking, two different face eating stories, fake tits, nice muscles, fried gator, surfing, wakeboarding, punching old people, throwing old people downstairs, steal money from a dying old person. 
it has it all. It really does. All our best people, Casey Anthony, Terry Schiavo, remember that vegetable mm-hmm. that her husband fought to wheel around? Can you imagine that? What a fucking horseshit world we live in. Remember that? This poor woman wanted to die. He's like, no, I'll wheel her around like a vegetable. We'll talk about Jesus for three years. Remember that Terry Schiavo? That was a height of Fox News insanity when everyone's like, don't let Tara die. Terry will be, she'll be kept alive like fucking weekend at Bernie's. She's, she's still here. I mean, I'm telling you this. I have a DNR. I have a DNR. I have a DNR where I don't even have to be uh, near death for them to let me die. I have a DNR if Chelsea Handler gets another deal at Netflix. I'm not to be resuscitated. If Chelsea Handler gets a deal at Netflix, I'm to be, I'm to be taken out and killed. <laughs> That's my DNR. Uh, which she will. Can you imagine the next documentary? Hello, privileges meet Chelsea. What's the next document? She's just walking around the Gaza Strip. Sorry about this. <laughs> I didn't realize as a Jewish person that we actually did some fucked up shit. Sorry about this. This two-year-old Palestinian kid with no arms. She's like, I'm sorry. I'm a big celebrity in America. And I realized that when I did a bunch of jokes calling you people rats, I realized that was not the move. Would you like to come? <laughs> Would you like to come to my house in Bel Air while I talk about this? Hello, privilege. Hello, Gaza. It's me, Chelsea. If she does hello, Gaza, it's me, Chelsea. I will like her again. Mm-hmm. That is when I will like her again. If she has the wherewithal to just walk around the Gaza Strip and I would be like, this bitch is crazy. She should go to every, she should apologize for everything America's ever, ever done. Tuskegee Airmen, hey Tuskegee, it's me, Chelsea. Hey, MK Ultra, it's me, Chelsea. <laughs> I had no idea that there were people getting acid without their knowledge. I've always, I love acid, but I know when I'm taking it. Next, it's, hey, MK, it's me, Chelsea. She just goes and apologizes for everything that's ever been done. Mm -hmm. Great. You know, folks, you've never been to Florida. Once. Yeah. Yeah. It's a vibe down there, man. It's a fucking vibe. There's some other rooms down there. Uh, there's a but there's like off the hook comedy club in Marco Island, which I think is like a Red Lobster with a stage. Uh, the Miami Improv is like a big. I'd like to go back there. I'd like to go back to Florida sometime um, in the winter, not Tampa, but another part of it, um, because it's nice to get out of the cold. Even though I'm. What do you think that is? You think it's a noise complaint, Benjamin? I wonder. I bet oh, it is. Oh, the phone's about... Oh, I yeah. bet it is. Hello? Hi. Oh, there's loud talking. I apologize. Okay. Thank you. Here's... um. Okay, the people at the Coast Hotel here are uh, unhappy with this, Benjamin, because there's loud talking. So a lot of the, the 
pieces of shit in this hotel. I should have said, what do they have to sleep for? What do they have to sleep for? They're just going to wake up the next morning and go fucking chug some nuts. There's loud talking. What, what if people wanted to have sex in the room? Or watch TV. We're not louder than a TV. Well, I'm probably am. The TV probably doesn't work. <laughs> it's probably, that's the one reason. Well, half this place is under construction too. So it's like. It's an interesting aesthetic here. It couldn't be, le- it couldn't be more drab. Yeah. You know? It feels like a double wide that they hung curtains in. 100%. But it's also like, I can't really spend bananas money on hotels in LA. I'm like, I can't. I can't spend <laughs> so much money. You look at like the three-day total of hotels that are a lot of money. You're like, I can't. You're like, I can't do this. The amount of money is so absurd to stay in Los Angeles and New York too. It's like fucking. But then you leave those places and you can like stay in a palace for no money. Pretty, you know? Mm-hmm. Not everywhere. There's some places like I was looking at rooms in Indianapolis. They were more than I thought. I was like, well, Indianapolis? What? Omaha, though. The rooms look kind of cheap in Omaha. Omaha. I'm going to call that dude tomorrow. Ask him. We're trying to do an epic podcast in Omaha about the Franklin scandal where we get some people to talk who maybe haven't talked before anonymously or whatever. Um, We might go and visit Noreen Gosh, who lives in Des Moines a few hours from Omaha. I got to talk to Nick Bryan tomorrow who wrote the Franklin scandal. Maybe sometime in November, December. We'll have to see when. Yeah, but it could be an interesting, it could be very interesting to get some people to talk that haven't talked. I don't know that they would, but we'll see. You know, wouldn't it be funny if we got them to talk to like, it actually is fake. We're like, what? Like the whole thing is we made it up. Me and a bunch of kids, we made it up. We're like, wait a minute, what? Like, yeah, the politicians, they were gonna ban smoking. We said we're gonna just call them all Satanists and pedophiles. We're like, wait a minute, so none of it was true? They're like, not even a little. <laughs> like, wait, what? That's crazy. I mean, I think that I think that could be an epic and spooky podcast. It'd be like spooky. And you, you know, you would do it and you'd be like, ugh. Yeah. You know? Be in a room like this. Somebody would come in, they would say something horrific and heinous, like really, really fucked up. You know what I mean? Like they would it would they would tell you something that was done to them, or you'd be like, This is fucked up. And I would look at them and I'd go, Have you ever been a twisty treat? Because I went and then I, I had the banana, the brownie boat. And then the next day I go and they, those bitches like we're independently owned. We're owned by the same people that own 80s. And I'm like, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Oh, wait, hold on. Keep going. Yeah, right. Okay. So you were chained in the radiator and you had beaten. The whole point of a franchise is to have a few items that are consistent. <laughs> Goodbye, folks. Good night and good luck. Harvey Weinstein showed up to a comedy show in New York City uh, over the uh, last few days. I think it was last night or two nights ago. 
this actors group, like maybe a networking group of actors in New York had an event and the woman who owned the, uh, or ran the group thought it would be a good idea to invite Harf. I mean, who better than to tell these actors what they need to do? Who better to offer advice and counsel? Who better than to shepherd the careers of young, vulnerable, impressionable actors than the legend himself, Harvey Weinstein? Seems like a good idea, doesn't it? Does it seem like a good idea that um, it's amazing that no one vetoed that, that nobody said, you know, I got to be honest. I know he's made some good movies, but I don't think it's the best idea to have him sit in the audience at a comedy show during this actor's event. It, it, It may seem in bad taste if we have a man that's been accused by 87 women of rape. Many of them were actors. It might be in bad taste to have him sit in the front row of the show with his big grin. And he was called out by this comedian. I think her name was Kelly Bachman. And uh, she got maybe 75, 80,000 Twitter followers overnight. And I believe her clip is, where is it, Benjamin? It's up at uh, 5 million. Something like that. I'm, I'm going to check right now. She had about 5 million views on the clip of her calling out Harvey yeah, Weinstein. 4.8 mil right now. 4.8 million on the clip. How many followers she got? 77.3. 77.3. Go follow me on Twitter, folks. Tim J. Dillon. Because... You know, I respect her. I told people to follow her, but like now it's getting out of hand quite quickly. You know, what would I have done? You know, she called out Harvey, talked about her own experience. Go watch the clip. It's a funny clip. I respect that. A lot of comics uh, didn't say anything because comics are pussies. And, you know, they were probably still thinking they're like, you know, Harvey's probably coming back. Harvey will be back. I don't want to run my mouth. What would I have done? Great question. I racked my brain. Let's be honest. Harvey would probably enjoy my act. Not because my act is pro-rape, because he's a human being with blood in his veins, and those people like what I do. They enjoy what I do. So I'm good at it. Harvey would have laughed. What if I had seen that? What if I had been crushing with Harv? What if Harvey had been laughing, belly laughing so hard? What if you'd whispered to somebody at his table, this guy's a fucking genius. What if I saw him mouth the words, this guy is a fucking genius. I wish I still had the power to make him a star. What if I heard that? What if I saw that? Would I have taken my time to berate him from the stage? What if I was really slaying, slaying the room and nobody laughing harder than Harvey Weinstein? Nobody. Imagine maybe three years ago, Harvey Weinstein showing up to a show and you're just killing. Say, hey, Harv. Because when did this break? This didn't break. This is, this is, I think the Weinstein news broke in, in 2017. 
2018. But it's not that long ago. Yeah, I think like a month before Louis. Right. I don't think... I mean, so if you went back a few years ago, which is not that long, and Harvey Weinstein was in the audience at a comedy show, you'd be like, whoa, tonight's the night. Tonight's my night. And it was still her night. This was still a big night for her. Here's... Here's what we want to know what we really draw from this event. Harvey is still making fucking stars. <laughs> he is still making stars. And don't think he doesn't know it. Don't think he doesn't know it. He just launched a, a, a woman. Open mic girl, maybe maybe not. Maybe she was doing some other shows. I don't know. I don't see her out on the road. I don't know what else she's doing. Maybe she's a writer. I don't, I'm not trying to denigrate her. She's probably she's probably very funny. She was she she handled that situation very well. It's very adept. She was good. To, the things she said were very funny, but she was obscure, and Harvey made her a star. Maybe the last woman. She might even say in an interview, "I'm the last woman Harvey Weinstein made a star." Right. Very interesting, folks. Isn't it fun how the world works? It's wild. That's just how my mind works. Because I say Harvey's still out there making stars. Just being in the same room with Harvey Weinstein changed your life. And it did. Overnight. You know, what would I have done? It's a great question. It's a great question. Would I have recognized him? Probably. When I got on stage, I saw Harvey Weinstein there. I would have definitely addressed it. And I would not have been deferential to Harvey Weinstein. I would have tried to be very funny, though, but I would have called him a rapist. I mean, I say that Ellen's in the CIA. I, I, I say wild things that are true. But I, I have no problem talking shit. But I think it's good that it came from a woman and a rape survivor. I believe that. I think that was more the move. You know? I might have went the angle. I was like, God, Harvey Weinstein, how bad's your life now? You're in a fucking comedy show with a bunch of nobodies? Shouldn't have raped all those people, huh? <laughs> you know? So I think I think it was probably best. But what's amazing is there were dudes in the back going, shut up, when she referenced it. Who the fuck are they? Shut up. You know, makes you really think Hannah Gadsby has a point. Maybe Nanette, maybe she's right. Yo, shut up. <laughs> Don't say nothing about Harvey. What kind of goons? This is a guy that had the Mossad, ex-Mossad agents on his payroll intimidating women, you know? And they can't get him on anything, huh? Nobody could get him. He can't put him in jail. He got all these people. Can't get him on anything. You heard those tapes. The tapes are kind of horrific where, you know, he's just trying to get into this woman's room and she's like, no, no, don't come in. He's like, let me in, let me in. You know, he got off on, on torturing and terrorizing people. I mean, that's clear, you know, no matter what you think about, um, you know, no matter what you think about, you know, due process and whatever and all your, you know, people, because that's his defense, you know. 
well, it's the court of public opinion. It's like, yeah, but the preponderance of evidence is high. There's a lot, including your own words and actions. Not good. Um, Luis Gomez tweeted something funny. He goes, Harvey Weinstein in the audience at Skankfest? Of course not. He would have been in the green room. <laughs> very funny. Every now and then, Lewis is very, very funny. It's not often, but every now and then, he's very funny. Ben, you got to shut those dogs up. Okay. I, I mean, this is, you, you live in a neighborhood. I mean, Ben has two useless dogs, and they'll be useless children eventually. But him and his chick have these two dogs. And dogs are, they practice on, like you practice on dogs. And I look at some people with dogs that can't behave and I'm like, man, their kids are going to suck. Their kids are going to be disrespectful. And I got to be honest with you, it's not a good omen that these dogs are just poorly behaved. And, you know, and I mean, you realize that this is like, you're going to have, you and her, whatever the hell you're doing, you're going to have to get better when you have children. Because dogs are a, this is like a rehearsal for children. And if these dogs were children, they would be like running around, you know, going crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, I look at people's dogs and I go, oh, well, you're going to have children and then these children are going to be a problem, you know? So hopefully you two figure it out between now and then. These fucking kids. To rub my train of thought. Yeah, no, Lewis can be very, very funny and chooses a lot of times just, you know, fight, getting fights and troll people, but he can actually be very funny. And that's, I think, people, I don't think people realize. Um, but I was trying to do, we were trying to go down to Omaha, Nebraska and do an episode of the show about the Franklin scandal. And it's not going to happen for a million reasons because I'm not a journalist and I don't have the resources. And then the people that are journalists, uh, you know, people are very protective of their own stories and their own scoops. And they want to, quote unquote, own that info, even though it's somewhat public record. So this whole idea of like when people tell me, they're like, oh, you should do more conspiracy stuff on the show or you should do more, you know, deep dives and investigations and stuff. It's kind of like, well, I don't, that's not my job. I'm a comedian. What I will do is I will showcase the work of other people I find credible, but they have to be kind of willing to do that. They have to be, and if they have other projects that they feel like will be jeopardized, if they do that, I completely understand them not wanting to do it. They've put their lives, a lot of people with this conspiracy, it's not just the Franklin scandal. It's a lot of different things. People dedicate their lives to this shit and they want to get a payday. They want to expose people. They want to, but they also want to make a little money because they put themselves at a professional and personal risk to do the reporting that they've done. And now they want a payday, you know, so they come to LA and Hollywood and they get all these holding deals. Oh, we're going to make a movie and this and that. And you know, they, these they, they, they blow smoke up your ass and they tell you everything's going to be great. And oh, you're going to do this and that. It's going to be, Worldwide phenomenon. You're going to be the guy that broke the thing and the movie is going to make everybody care. Because by the way, that's the only America. The goal now is never congressional investigation or anything. It's a movie. The goal the only way to get the American public to care about anything is to have like a uh, like a uh, movie or a Netflix 
series that gets a lot of attention. Like that would be it. They, you know, if you wanted to wake people up about anything, you'd have to like put it in a Marvel film. You'd have to sneak it into a Marvel film to get people interested in it. I mean, so I think a lot of people in the in the conspiracy space imagine that eventually they're going to get a documentaries, or then those documentaries are going to be features, and then those features are going to wake people up. And then because JFK did it to an extent, you know, JFK people started to get interested in that. There was then pressure, and they released some records. Um, again, what did that all add up to? <sighs> you tell me. But it certainly it certainly opened the window, opened the door to more of a legitimate inquiry into that event. So that can happen. And I think that can happen. Usually what happens is it's usually 50 years after the event happened when everybody's dead, that people start figuring out what happened or that there's even like some idea of, you know, JFK was assassinated, I think in 1963 and JFK, the movie came out in the nineties, which is about 30 years later, I think in the nineties, JFK came out, get, get JFK up Ben. Um, it was a good movie. 1991. Yes, 91. About 30 years later, you know, maybe there will be a movie made about the Franklin scandal. There'll be a movie made sooner about Jeffrey Epstein because he's dead. So, boom. You can, you can, you know, that'll come out next year. They'll do a Jeffrey Epstein movie. Uh, it'll be a year or two from now. Maybe not even... It'll be a movie about a guy with a secret island and all these rich and powerful people, but it won't hint to, uh, you, you'll never get really close to what was going on. And I don't believe they'll, you know, portray any real politicians in it. And one wonders if they'll even suggest that these people are at the top of the political, you know, system in their countries. It might just be guys in suits walking around an island that you know are rich and powerful. But like, are they going to, or it would the movie be like, this guy's the leader of a country? Because that, that I think would change, you know, if they did a movie and they wanted to make it an accurate depiction, you would have to have leaders of countries going to this island. I think they'll actually just have, you know, people that uh, have nice watches on and will have to, you know, deduct that they're rich, powerful, but it's not going to be like, you know, it's not going to be a direct, you know, and we'll see. I could be wrong. Um, so the problem with doing the Franklin scandal episode in Omaha um, is because I don't have, I'm not getting anyone to talk. Nobody's going to talk to me. I, I, you know, nobody's people who Google me. They see I've dressed up like Megan McCain. Um, I also don't know how to judge the veracity of what other people are saying. I don't, I mean, I can't cross check things. This is not my job. This is not what I do. I have great respect for the people who do it, but those people need to, need to facilitate this. And, you know, maybe they will in the future and we'll do it in the future. But I think when people are like, you should do more, you're selling out because uh, you won't do the conspiracy. It's like, number one, conspiracy is a mainstream dummies. They're trying to make movies about all this shit. It, people are so dumb. You guys are all so fucking behind, you know? And, you know, you, you can't even grasp the, the fucking... Can you bring them in, please? You know? People like all this baggage around. It's like an excuse, you know? Oh, the dog. We have the dog. We have the dog. Take the love that you give to the dogs and give it to something that's going to matter, like a business, 
like children. Enough with the fucking animals. Don't edit this part out. Enough with the fucking animals, folks. <laughs> it's it's sick. It's really sick. It's like instead of getting going to a doctor and figuring out why you're so fucked up in the head, you just hug this warm ball of fur. Enough with this, folks. Get a clue. Get a handle on your fucking life. Okay? Enough. These animals don't even want to fucking live with you, half of them. Half of them are bred. They're, they're Dr. Moreau animals that they crossbreed. Then they make these little freak things that don't even know why they're alive. They can barely breathe, half these things. And they just sit on a pillow with you and watch your water postmates. It's not what they want. They don't even know why they're on the fucking planet. You know? And it's every loser has nine dogs and can't do anything because of the dogs. That's every loser's story. I kill my dog. This needs me. I can't go and do anything in the world. My doggy needs me. Your dog doesn't even want to be near you. <laughs> your dog doesn't even know why it's living in your basement. So get rid of the fucking animals until you have an actual life where you can have bring other living things into your life and take care of them. Okay. It's a, it's a disgusting fetish that I'm sick of. I'm truly sick of these dirty people with their filthy homes and the disgusting dogs. My friend just got a dog. He's like, it's so, it's so nice to have a dog. I'm not uh, drinking, going out, doing blow because I have a dog now. What? What? You stop doing drugs because you got a dog? Well, then you, there's a problem. Fix the problem. I'm sure the dog loves that. Being the only thing that stands between you and a Coke binge. <laughs> it's really... So what I was saying about the conspiracy stuff is that it, it gets a lot tougher when there's egos involved. All of these guys have egos. Everybody who's written a book has an ego. Everybody who's been part of a documentary has an ego. Everybody wants to have own their turf. They want to own the story. They want it to be done a certain way. Then they... They get financial backers to make these things into uh, movies or do uh, bigger documentaries. And then those people want exclusivity and it's a whole thing. So it's actually a lot tougher than you would imagine. You know, the smiley face killers, for example, this is just an example. And I want to tell you people this because ma many of, not all of my fans, but some of, some of my friends are literally, literal, they're, they're brain dead. Like they have, they don't have blood or oxygen running to their brain and they're somehow alive uh, it's a medical miracle. It's a literal medical miracle. Some of the people that message me. Um, I wanted to do a follow-up on the Smiley Face Killers episode. If you don't recall that, it's a really interesting one. Join the Patreon. Check it out. Smiley Face Killers was supposedly this gang of serial killers traveling around the country or they have cells in different cities and they're killing young, good-looking, college-educated males and throwing them in a river. This is what was alleged. There was a show on it. Um, that Oxygen Network did. It was a bad show. It diminished the credibility of what I tried to do uh, pretty pretty severely, to be honest, because it was shot like a reality show. And But again, it's just, you know, everybody's got their hand out and these people just want to, yeah, yeah, we're going to put you on TV. That's totally fine. I understand that. I totally get it. I know that TV has an allure, new media, whatever. I had a guy that felt like, that, that, that claimed to be a victim a potential victim of this mother. I found him credible. I believed him. I, it was completely happenstance that I ran into him in Wisconsin, which is a hotbed of this activity. His story checked out. Um, 
And it was very interesting. And I had him on the show. It was one of our most successful episodes. So I email these three uh, goofballs that have been touting this theory for 20 years. Okay. One of them is this guy. I forget his name. He's been accused of sexual assault. There's another one. I think he went and like to some college campus and he was like, hey, you know anything about this uh, smiley face killer? Why don't you put your smiley face on my cock? <laughs> and he took his dick out. Uh, there's this guy, Kevin Gannon, right? Is that his name? Kevin Gannon? Yeah, he likes to put, take his cock out uh, in the middle of the investigation. Okay? So that that goofball. And then this other guy, Lee Gilbertson, who's just some professor at St. Cloud U. By the way, these three losers are probably killing these kids. To, to get a show on Oxygen Network. And then some other Italian goon from uh, uh, Long Island or Jersey or my neck of the woods, some, who's um, I'm sure is a nice guy. You know, a cop used to listen to the show, my friend Michelle, and she said they were, these were like nice guys, but they were kind of whatever, like, you know, you know, you know, they were just, you know, she's like, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're real New York guys. They got, everybody's got a million stories and you know, what's true and what's not. And they got a million ideas and opinions, but you know, they're probably not the most careful people that have ever lived. And now, by the way, I totally believe something's wrong with the smiley face killer. Like I believe something's going on with the drownings and stuff. I believe that there's, there's certainly something that's going on. 100%. A lot of these make no sense. It's in the dead of winter. These kids end up two miles from the bar, the party that they were in. Nobody and people are like, well, when people are drunk, they like to be by the water. It's like, yeah, in July, not in February. Nobody is walking two miles in February by the icy river to get home. I mean, it's just not rational, right? So I don't discredit this theory, but the people that came up with it, you know, these are, you know, people who they don't read the most credible Okay, you know, they, they do this reality show on oxygen, which I get it. They want to get the, you know, they want to get their story out there, to, you know, to overweight housewives, you know, so they could talk about it while they at Weight Watchers meetings. <laughs> I saw something on oxygen it was about young boys getting killed. How many points does the bathtub of lasagna have? Is that, how many points is that? <laughs> a tub of lasagna. Like a bathtub portion. So I emailed Lee Gilbertson, this one of these guys who helped originate this theory, who works at like St. Cloud, Minnesota, whatever. I email him. I go, hi, my name is Tim Dillon. I'm a comedian. I did a hugely popular episode on the show. I'd reached out to you before. You had told me that you were waiting to see what Oxygen Network was going to do um, and if they were going to renew you. And then, you know, obviously there's, you know, they, they might have a say in what press you do. Um, but I was following up with you because I didn't see you on the schedule for next season of Oxygen, which I, I, they're probably not, you know, because you can't beat this thing forever. You know, these people have been doing it for 20 years. They've been dragging these parents along for 20 years. And there's been no convictions, no nothing, no arrests. They've got a few cases reclassified as homicides or maybe one case. One case, which I think is good. So I email, I'll read you this guy's email back to me because I just want to show you this is the reality of what you're dealing with here. I'll, I'll read it back to you guys right now, word for word. I'll read you my email and then his email. And you can see, 
you know, where it is. Um, I was like, hey, hey, just circling back with you, Lee. My podcast episode on the Smiley Face Killers was very well received. We got somewhere between 150 and 200,000 downloads on the episode. I had reached out earlier about uh, a potential interview. I know that you guys were waiting to hear back from Oxygen. Just circling back to see if you have any more information about potentially another season and if you would be available to do an episode of the show. Okay? He comes back to me. He goes, Tim, thank you for the invite and offer to present the story of the young men to a border audience. Not broader, border audience. Again, I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not going to shit on him for fucking typos, you know, but sometimes a typo will just give you a little bit of an idea. We have discussed this amongst our team, the team, the team. Given the gravity of this topic, a comedy venue slash genre does not seem appropriate. Were you to have another outlet, then we could perhaps accommodate your request. Again, thanks for extending the opportunity. Again, so I've not responded. I think I'm going to respond and go, hey, we cover a lot of serious topics on the show. Um, we handle them responsibly. I've had ex-CIA agents on the show. I've had best-selling authors on the show. And I've had people that have said that my interviews, the interviews that me and Ray did with them were better than interviews that they that were done with them at ABC or CBS or NBC. Mark Galliotti said that he wrote the book, The Vori, the inside story of the Russian mafia. He was like, these two comedians did a great job interviewing me. I don't think that'll change his opinion, by the way, of whether he wants to come on. I'll fill him in on those uh, indisputable facts. I don't think that'll change his opinion because these people are waiting for, I'm telling you, they're all waiting for the movie deal. I'm telling you. They're all waiting for the next season of the TV show. So don't come to me and go, you don't do conspiracies because you're selling that. Listen, buddy, there's layers to this shit that you fucking don't know about because you're sitting on your couch fucking and you have no clue and you don't know any of these people. You don't talk to any of them. These people all want a payday. It's completely rational. I'm not hating on them. Why would they do this if there was no benefit? Okay, there needs to be some benefit. Do they also want to help people and get justice? Yeah, sure. Of course they do. They wouldn't have spent years on this without that being a thing. But they also want this to be seen by the broadest audience possible. So they're not necessarily convinced that I can deliver that to them. Or they're not convinced that they don't want to muck up their ability to down the line get a bigger deal somewhere from some outlet that is going to provide them with one. So that is a problem that you run into often with a lot of these people. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Especially when there's something salacious. Smiley Face Killers could be a great fucking movie. I'd go see it. You know, that's the problem here. You know, like Edward Snowden's on Rogan. Poor guy's living in Moscow. He's on the run. What would I have done if I was Edward Snowden? I probably would have just went to Chili's, to be honest. Because <laughs> I don't truly have faith in the people of the country. They don't care that they're being surveilled. We've talked about it before. 
I, I've talked to people that are like, so what am I doing? I don't care that they're watching me. You can watch me eat pizzas, order food. Who cares? Call my ex-girlfriend a whore? They don't understand that having everything you've ever said or done being stored in a bank waiting to be weaponized against you by tyrannical governments, not the thing. They don't get it. Good for you, Ed Snowden. Some people probably get it. Hopefully it changes history. It's certainly you're a historical figure. And you got a lot more faith in these fuckers than I do. I would have went to Chili's. I would have brought five of my friends to a Chili's from Long Island and sat them down and explained everything that I had found and saw, and I would have looked at them and I would have explained, I'm like, guys, everything, guys, I would have sat them down. I would look at my friend Ryan and I said, Ryan, every single thing you've ever typed into a Google search bar, everything you've said on a phone, everything you've texted to somebody, everything you've looked up, it's all being saved in a database and the government gets to just do whatever they want with it. I would tell all my friends, you know, and you know what their response would be? They'd be like, yo, I ordered the burger medium rare. It's not rare. It's fucking, it's like brown. It's like a fucking piece of meat on the fucking floor. I paid money for this. What the fuck? Yo, these egg rolls are good. The Southwestern egg rolls. And then I would have said to myself, wow, so... If I go forward with this information, I'm going to be put in jail and I'll have to probably live in Moscow. I just would have silently ate the egg roll, looked at all my friends, went home and went to bed and went, you know what? What are we saving? What are we really, (laughs) truly saving? I'm not against Snowden doing it. I'm just thinking about my own, you know? Going back to Harvey Weinstein, yeah, I would have said something to him. But what if, what if Harvey just got it? What if he laughed at all the new stuff? What if he laughed at all my new material? What if he pulled me aside after the show and said, listen, I got an idea for you. Sure. It's easy to say that I would be repulsed by him, and I would because he's a rapist. But, man, I've done a lot of rooms where good people just didn't get it. They stared at you. What if Harvey was howling, cackling? Hitting the table. Hooting and hollering. (laughs) Connecting with my material in a way that maybe nobody ever had. A way that made it all worth it. The shitty planes and the shitty clubs and the shitty hotels. And the bar shows and the lack of friends and family and the loneliness. What if I looked at him and he got it? He understood what I was doing up there. We were on the same fucking frequency. What would I have done? Would I like Edward Snowden? Would I have blown the whistle? Or would I have eaten the Southwestern egg roll? I don't know. And I never will.